Welcome back to part three of our study of the book of Galatians. Uh, part three is going to be in chapter three. And if you remember anything from part two, a quick recap, uh, Paul was reminding them that he's uh, reminding the church that he's an apostle. And then he starts talking about how we're justified by faith. And that's going to go into chapter three, which if you have a subheader on your Bible, such as mine, uh, your subheader might say something like by faith or by works of the law. And Paul is going to talk to the Galatians about, well, are we saved by faith or by works of the law? So let's just start chapter 3 of the book of Galatians, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was, before, uh, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What an odd way to start chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? If you remember in chapter 2, Paul asks them, is there any other gospel? In other words, what he, what's happening is the Galatians were being led astray by uh, some of the Jews of the circumcision party who have came into the church to disrupt them and confuse them. And so the Galatians were turning away to different beliefs and a different gospel. Not that there is a different gospel, but they were turning away. And Paul is saying, like, what's going on? Like, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly crucified, uh, publicly portrayed as crucified. You know, whether these Galatians physically saw with their own eyes or not, the Jesus, uh, the Christ, that is, I, I don't know for sure. But Paul makes a good point. Like, you guys are around during these events. How could you be led astray? I mean, here we are listening to this podcast, reading this word 2,000 years later, and we're like, how could they be led astray? I mean, they were right there in the first century, and even they were having difficulty. Let's continue on. Uh, verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by uh, hearing with faith? What an interesting question. And as it kind of sounds silly, again, from the 2,000-year perspective that I have and that you have. You're like, how could these Galatians get so led astray thinking that they received their works, their faith by works of the law? I mean, if these were Gentile believers... Um, you know, did they even really understand works of the law? And I think that's what's going on is uh, they were being led astray by the circumcision party stating that, hey, you know, if you truly want to worship God, you got to hold perfection to the law now. And Paul's saying like, hello, you received the Holy Spirit by uh, hearing the gospel and believing with faith. So... What makes you think that works of the law are doing it? You obviously have had an impact by the gospel uh, when I preached it to you and it was by faith. And now you suddenly think works are what has done it. Well, you weren't performing works till now or whatever the case may be. So Paul's stating, hello. And so why does it sound so foolish to us? Well, it sounds like how could they easily be so led astray? But don't we do that too? As we're going to read in verse 3, I think it's honestly something that really happens to us Christians even in modern years. Let's read verse 3 and I will elaborate on that point further. Uh, verse 3, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now what does that mean for us modern believers? One thing that's happened to me in my past is obviously I came to faith in Christ and I was baptized into Christ and saved, but there's been times where I've lied awake at night stressed out questioning my salvation because of like a sin that I've done or something where I lay awake thinking, 
oh my word, how can I be saved? How can I be a Christian if I fell into that behavior, if I made that stupid decision and sin? And now we shouldn't sin, obviously, which Paul talks about in Scripture and all the other apostles and every Scripture. But what Paul is stating here is it's often... uh, I guess it often happens to us Christians where we know we've been saved by faith in Christ Jesus and based on his completed work on the cross, but yet we still like to put ourselves in the seat of trying to earn God's favor. You know, now that I've been baptized into Christ, I have to keep my salvation by being perfect or pleasing God or working hard in the faith so I can keep God pleased or keep God happy or make him more happy. And yes, now we are to bear fruit. Absolutely. We shouldn't indulge in sin. But I think what's going on here is we get so focused on trying to do, you know, now that I'm a Christian, what do I need to do? We get so focused on what we need to do that we forget the basics of the gospel. And that is the fact that we have been saved by hearing and believing, uh, hearing with faith And so Paul is reminding us that, yes, in Christianity, there is obedience that we are to do, but ultimately it is the grace of God that we receive through faith that moves us to obey. So we need to remember to stay focused on hearing and believing the gospel with faith, and that leads to obedience, not necessarily our perfection to the law and keeping all the commandments perfectly. So moving on in verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You know, I think this is an excellent example here. Paul brings up Abraham and he's going to continue to go on uh, in the chapter talking about Abraham receiving the promises of God through faith. And, you know, we see in Scripture that when God performs a miracle through someone, uh, whether it was Christ doing it or, you know, Moses or the prophets, did God do it through those people, uh, such as Moses and the prophets, uh, because they kept the law perfectly? Well, to my knowledge, no, because the gospel makes it clear that nobody can keep the law perfectly, uh, other than Christ, of course. And so Paul is elaborating, stating that in Scripture, when we see miracles that God performs through individuals, again, such as Moses or the prophets, um, was it because that he did uh, works of the law or was it because they simply followed God with faith? And again, that is what happens. And then Paul brings up Abraham because Abraham being somebody that the Jews can relate to and again, uh, an important figure for us in the church. Abraham, I like to think, is like the man of faith, even though he sinned just like you and I. That's what Paul is going to elaborate on. Like, yeah, Abraham had great faith, but he sinned. He didn't, you know, the law wasn't there at the time, but he, in other words, didn't keep it perfectly. You know, he was a sinner just like you and I, even though, again, the law wasn't there. But he had faith in God, and that's why it was counted to him as righteousness, and God made those promises with him. So let's continue on in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You know, a lot of people I've heard, uh, well, I've heard many preachers state that it was common that back around this time, 
Jews believed that because they were circumcised, they were already saved. When they got to the gates of heaven, Abraham would be checking people at the door to see if they were circumcised. If they were circumcised, then it was a get-into-heaven-free card. It was like your plane ticket. But God makes it clear in Scripture that just performing an act such as circumcision alone doesn't save you. You need to have faith. And not every single Jew that had circumcision was God's people and was was saved. God makes it clear that it was those with faith. There was a remnant of Israel that was saved. It wasn't just the circumcised. It was the circumcised with faith. It was those with faith that were the son, sons of the man of faith, Abraham. And in regards to New Testament circumcision, that is circumcision of the heart, the Old Testament circumcision was supposed to be circumcision of the heart too, meaning it wasn't necessarily just the physical act of being circumcised. It was always about the spiritual, heartfelt act of being circumcised. That is, uh, softening your heart towards God and loving God and willingly wanting to please God or willingly wanting to obey God and have faith. And so, in the New Testament circumcision, such as baptism, that's why Christ says in Mark 16, verse 16, believe and be baptized and you'll be saved. It's not just the fact of go get dunked in water and you're suddenly saved. No, you have to have faith in it in order for it to mean anything. And Paul makes that very clear that faith, belief in God, and the gospel is the core of everything. Nothing else matters if you don't have faith. If you get baptized, that's great, but if you don't have faith... It means absolutely nothing to you, but you need to be baptized to be saved, but you need to be baptized with faith. So moving on in uh, verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. An important note I want to make in this regard, obviously the Ten Commandments aren't the whole law. There are, I think I've heard that there are 613 laws of uh in the Old Testament, but let's just focus on the Ten Commandments because that's, I think, the most widely known in our society, at least in the United States. I hear people all the time state, uh, in regards to the Ten Commandments, they'll say, well, I've never committed adultery and, you know, I've never murdered someone, so I think I'm good. But Paul makes it clear that if you only obey nine, for example, nine of the Ten Commandments, you're damned. And what he means by that is... Uh, scripture makes it clear that in order to be saved and pleasing to God, you have to keep the law perfectly because that's how the covenant originally was. It's not because God is some tyrant. It's because God has, a, you know, a righteous standard of uh, justice. And the covenant that the Jews agreed on, God said, if you obey my law, I will bless you. Meaning you got to keep the law perfectly. And so when people say, oh, you know, well, I've never murdered somebody, so I think I obey the, the Ten Commandments. I'm good enough. I've never, it's not like I've crossed that line, but that doesn't matter. If you've so much as committed one, you're a sinner in need of a savior, and the wages of sin is death, so you need Jesus. The only one that kept the law perfectly, of course, was Jesus. A great example is adultery is one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, I can openly say that I've never cheated on my wife. However, Jesus makes it clear that even if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. How many of us men can say that we've looked at a different woman longingly? I don't like to boast in it, but, you know, if we've done that, we've committed adultery in our heart. Thus, we've violated one of the commandments. We're now sinners in need of a Savior. The only way we can be justified by the law is to keep it perfectly, and that's just impossible. 
move on in verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Again, as uh, we mentioned earlier, it doesn't really matter what it is we do if we don't have faith in God. We need to have faith in God or really our actions don't mean anything. A lot of people will state, well, my loved one died. I have faith they're going to heaven because, well, they were a good person. Yeah, you know, they necessarily weren't a Christian, but they were a good, wholesome, genuine human being. And that's great, you know. I'm glad that they left that impression in your life. But none of that really matters because the only way to get into heaven is to be a perfect individual or, and or I should say, have faith in God. If you have faith in God, that is what gets you into heaven, is faith in Jesus Christ, faith in the gospel. If you have faith, nothing else matters. Faith is the core of your salvation, your life, your walk with God. Believe and be baptized and you'll be saved. Belief came first because belief is the foundation and the core of everything we do as a Christian and a believer in God. Without faith, nothing matters no matter how good or bad you are if you have faith that's game over faith is essential beyond essential moving on in verse 12 but the law is not a faith rather the one who does them shall live by them again whatever we do in this life we have to do with faith in god with faith in christ Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, there is a lot in here to unpack. Number one, it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. Great example of this is when Christ was brought before the crowd before his crucifixion. Pilate asks, who should I release? The murderer Barabbas, forgive me if I pronounce that incorrectly, but the murderer Barabbas or Jesus Christ. And everybody said, free Barabbas, let's crucify Christ. That's an excellent example of what happened. The murderer, the sinner, was let free to walk while the righteous one who kept the law perfectly, Jesus Christ, was killed in his place. And that's exactly what happened here in the gospel. We, the sinners, were free to go while Jesus Christ died in our place. Cursed is everyone who hanged on the tree. That should have been us, but Jesus died in our place. Us, the murderers, the sinner, Barabbas. And then in verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come true to the Gentiles. When uh, God made the covenant that was signed with Israel, God said, you know, keep my law. I will bless your nation. I will bless you. Well, what happened was, is since nobody could keep the law in order to receive the blessings to uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, somebody had to keep the law perfectly. So God, being loving and kind, became man in Jesus Christ, his son, and came and fulfilled the law for us. It's kind of silly if you think about it. God made a promise with us. He knew we couldn't keep it, so he kept it for us. Isn't that love? And so since Jesus was righteous and kept the law perfectly and died a death he should not have died, uh, he died for us, he kept the law perfectly, so now we, the Gentiles and the Jews, can receive the promises uh, and the blessings that is the promised spirit through faith. And so amen to that good news. <laughs> Moving on in verse 15. 
To give a human examples, brother, uh, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ? This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. God made the promise to Abraham that his offspring uh, would be saved. That is, he would have a multinational family. That is, the church. And so God made that promise to Abraham before circumcision and the law was even made. It wasn't keep these laws and then I'll save you. It was, hey, I promise I'm going to do this. And then 430 years later, then the law came. Now, I'm not really an expert on the law. And so there's a lot to unpack in this, but I simply don't really have all the knowledge to do it in a way that would be beneficial to you without me just rambling for 30 minutes. So what's going on here is really... God gave the promise to Abraham before the law, and so it's always been about faith, not just obedience to the law. Faith came first. It was, here's a promise, receive it with faith. Then 430 years later, then we had the law come and be established. But the law doesn't void the promise. It does because God said, hey, Abraham, you have faith. Here are these promises. Then 430 years later, God didn't come in and say, hey, here are these promises I give to Abraham, but now you have to earn them by obedience to the law. It's not necessarily that because God won't back take back his word and nullify his covenant and promise to Abraham. So let's move on before I get myself in trouble and get people confused based on my ignorance uh, in regards to that specific passage so if you have more insight on that please feel free to email me of course Uh, verse 19 why then the law it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediate intermediary now an intermediary implies more than one but god is one so what's going on here is the promises Uh, The promise was for Christ Jesus, but until Christ could come, the law came. And the purpose of the law was to really expose sin, because as Paul writes, before the law, he didn't know what it was to covet. But after the law, the law said, you shall not covet. So now Paul understands uh, what it is to covet, and so now he knows not to do it. For example, sin was always there, but the law came and exposed the fact that, wow, we really are sinners. That was the point of the law. It wasn't to come in and state, oh yeah, we now have to be perfect. It came through to state that we can't be perfect and expose the fact that we can't be perfect and that we need a Savior, Jesus Christ. So the law is righteous and holy. It came to expose our sin and to make it known to us that we are sinners in need of a Savior, in need of Jesus. Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Again, the promise was have faith in Jesus Christ and believe in him and you will be saved. Paul is stating, like I mentioned earlier, that you know, you aren't really going to receive eternal life by perfection to the law. 
the law isn't really intended to for that. It is intended to expose our sin, to let us know that we need a Savior, Jesus Christ, so that promise can come true, the promise of salvation through belief in Jesus Christ. Uh, moving on in verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Right there was a lot of the reason why the Jews did not obey or receive the gospel because now it's like, hey, you've been following this law and have been told to obey it, but now you're not held captive anymore because the promise is here. And they're like, wait, what? And... You know, I try to imagine being in their shoes. Imagine having a lifelong practice and faith, and then out of nowhere you're supposed to uproot that and change. I can, I can honestly sympathize with them in that regard. But Paul is stating that, you know, the law did its part, it did its duty, and now the promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and here we are to have faith in Jesus Christ. The law has done its part, it's time to move forward with faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. As we mentioned in previous studies, right here, it says in Romans 8 verse 1, there's therefore no condemnation for those that are now in Christ Jesus. Here in verse 27 of Galatians 3, For as many of you as, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In order to be in Christ, where there's no condemnation, where there's salvation and mercy and grace, you need, you know, you need to be in Christ. How do you get in Christ? Verse 27 says you need to be baptized into Christ to put on Christ. That's when you're clothed in Christ. That's when you're in Christ, where those spiritual blessings are, as mentioned in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 3 and 7. Moving on in, 20, in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is, neither, uh, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, the whole thing going on right now that has always been going on, I shouldn't say right now, with uh, equality, uh, men and women and black and white and so on, Jesus makes it known that if you were to be a Christian, there can't be any racism and prejudice. We are all one in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the, the equalizer where a slave could eat with a poor man. Or excuse me, a slave could eat with a free man and a poor man could eat with a rich man. And that's why the Romans were so suspicious of Christians at this time and persecuted them because it was uprooting society. No rich man eats with a poor man and no slave with a free man and no uh, man with a woman or so on. But here was a multicultural family where all these people came together at one time to love each other and respect each other. I mean, holy cow, can you imagine if we did this more so today? That would solve racism and sexism and every problem there possibly is if we all truly treated each other with love and respect. But the only way we can do that is if we all commonly come around the table around our faith in Jesus Christ, the thing that equalizes us all, the thing that we can all agree on is our faith in Jesus Christ. That is what brings people together. And if, in verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. If you're Abraham's offspring, like we mentioned, if you receive Christ with faith, then you are a son of Abraham, the man of faith, uh, and heirs of the promises that are in uh, Genesis and the promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
Now, chapter three, if you've noticed, I may I probably skipped a lot of important details. Maybe I over-elaborated and missed something. But that one's kind of a tough one for me because it requires a lot of knowledge, in my uh, opinion, of Abraham and the promises in Genesis. And so perhaps there's somebody that's more knowledgeable in it than I that can do a better teaching on this, and I invite you to do so. But I thank you guys again for listening to the Galatians study. Lord willing, we'll get... Uh, number four done here soon but if you haven't yet please leave me a review on apple podcasts so i can continue to grow and be better and that other people can find the podcast as well and i please invite you to share on your social media thank you guys so much again for listening